Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello, I'm Dr. Shabnam Berry-Khan and welcome to today's episode. Topics today are um, inspired by some of the CQC discussions that have been going on, particularly for case managers. Um, around competent, safe and compliant care. And I think there's lots of ideas around kind of why we're doing this and why we have to be thinking about CQC standards and what those CQC standards are. And um, I guess I wanted to add to that with um, a bit more about the how, how we uh, translate our practice into competent, safe and compliant support for our clinically complex, particularly for clinically complex clients. And I've crossed paths with today's guest um, a number of times, both in discussions, general discussions, but, um, but over clients as well. So we've covered a, a number of topics, um, all of which she is incredibly passionate and skilled at talking about. So needless to say, uh, today's episode will cover a number of topics around working safely with clients their families, thinking about the care teams and the implications as well for uh, MDTs. So without further ado, let me introduce you to this lovely guest. Today I am talking to Chantelle Brooks, who is a registered nurse and the clinical director of Orchard Brooks Healthcare. Welcome Chantelle. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you for being here. It's really great to have someone who is, in my opinion, because I know we've worked together a little bit now, just really knowledgeable about lots of different things. And I'm always struck as how as to how um, uh, approachable you are with it all as well, because it's not, you know, medical, clinical, medical, understanding clinical medical needs is not, uh, you know, certainly not my forte as a case manager. And I, I suspect that's the case for a lot of people listening in. So it's really nice to, to have you here talking to us um, about your specialism. So tell us, how did you get to where you got? Okay, so I originally trained um, to be a registered nurse back in 2006 to 2009. Prior to that, I was working as a dental nurse um, and then decided that I really wanted to go to university so that I could actually provide that service myself rather than assisting somebody to support a client. Um, and throughout uh, my training um, as a nurse, I actually worked for an agency and, and I was placed with a, a number of different clients. So working as a healthcare support worker with clients with um, learned disabilities, brain injuries, so all of the complex care setting. Mm-hmm. When I was a qualified nurse in 2009, I worked over at Brimfield Hospital and worked within St Andrew's Plastics Department and that covered a a variety of different wards, so Adjusted Airway, Burns ITU, um, MaxVax, Plastics, ENT, lots of of different wards. But I've also worked um, out in the community as a community nurse. I've worked in private hospital, private practice. Um, So experience is really varied. Mm. But I also worked as a branch nurse an agency and absolutely loved uh, transitioning packages um, and and then actually did do that myself with my own CQC registered company however that you know that was back in 2014 however I went back to uh, back to nursing 
but just decided when I was back on the wards that I just really missed the community. I missed working out with clients and that's how OBH was formed. Um, Mm. And then I found that there was, there was a need for my service within the personal injury industry. Um, And that brings me to today um, having two associates working with me. um, And that was over the last couple of years. Okay. So um, kind of very organic as to how you got here. Mm-hmm. which I suspect is a, the case for a lot of um, people listening in, actually, that um, unless you kind of touch on it uh, on personal inju- the personal injury world um, yeah. through the work you do, you don't necessarily know it exists. Um, so that's really fascinating. And I think it's really helpful to hear that your background is almost entirely in complex care in some way, shape or form. Yes. With different, you know, with different hats on, you know, be it as, you know, private um, statutory services or uh, agencies, you know, um, so on and so forth, um, wards, hospitals. I, I just think it's really, I, I can see how it exactly lends to the, um, the skills and the, the understanding of the kind of clients that we work with. Yeah. Obviously, you enjoy it enough to start working with other people, which is great. Um, but to, I guess the point, one of the things that we wanted to sort of talk about today, because I think w- when we had our preamble discussion, uh, we kind of felt like it could go any which way, really. There's lots of things to talk about, and it's all. Ma- I can. I really feel your passion and your enthusiasm for it. Um, uh, but I suppose one of the things that we were talking about was um, kind of bringing it right the way back to kind of the idea of why we would engage in a uh, with a, a client a, a service like yours when we are right at the beginning of taking on um, a new client. And perhaps the, the complexity, the medical clinical complexity is not obvious, perhaps, or where maybe an agency is involved and you've kind of defaulted to their processes to ensure that compliance and competence is there. Kind of, so I suppose my first question to you would be, you know, what does it mean by, what do you mean by, I guess, clinical and, and specific, specifically in the personal injury world? So for me, as a registered nurse, when I refer to clinical, it's any clinical intervention that requires nursing support. So I think the best way we can think about it is if a client was on a hospital ward or, you know, community hospital setting, if it required a nurse to deliver that care, that to me is the clinical intervention. So let's give you an example. If a client has got, has a tracheostomy in situ or um, a peg, Entrally fed. So ordinarily on a hospital ward, that would require the skill of a nurse. Therefore, out in the community, uh, that would require clinical oversight and, you know, clinical training and, and competency by that registered professional. You know, that, that's only for the nursing element. However, if we also think about somebody who has a physiotherapist involved, mm-hmm. they may have, you know, passive exercises. Therefore, that clinician will, will have to go out and provide that, that specific training to those support workers of, you know, passive stretches. There's something about um, understanding where the specialism is. Uh, and um, there's something about delegating that to other people who have the specialism when, um, when, the, when there is a need. I, I mean, I'm personally a very, I'm, I'm quite sort of keen to say that if you're a case manager, for example, 
that you remain purely operating as a case manager with any client that you don't mix and match your yeah. roles. So for example, as a clinical psychologist, I wouldn't be the therapist for a client um, who needs um, psychology intervention if I am the case manager for that same client. Does that make sense? So yeah. I, I yeah. that but that's just my I, I just think you to do two two jobs in one for a client, particularly as as they're likely to be quite complex. I, I'm not sure that you're that it, that's uh, possibly the the right way forward. But you know, I think that for me, it's easy for me to say that when it comes to the medical needs, I have to say, um, because I you know hold my hands up and say I don't have any medical training whatsoever, um, and I would need to invite someone like yourself to be able to help me work out what the medical needs are. Yeah, and I think, you know, the medical needs can be identified initially when the first assessment has been completed mm. and, and really looking at, you know, a really robust care plan or, you know, assessment, you know, at that first visit. But again, having a look at the assessment that you have in place and does it, you know, does it ask the questions of, are there any medications involved with this client? How, you know, how does this client eat and drink or do they have you know, a peg inserted. And that would then lead you on to other questions such as if there is a a peg in place, do we have a feeding regime? And can we have a copy of that feeding regime? And I think it just depends on the assessment or the documentation that you're going out to complete with. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing you say as well, then that you can get involved quite early on. Absolutely. Which may uh, be very helpful for some of our listeners to know that, you know, a service like yours can be available Soon, uh, soon after an INA, really, or as part, certainly um, a part of the recommendations within, I, within an INA, yeah, you know, would include sort of getting getting that sort of uh, specialist assessment from a service like yours. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, sometimes it's much better to go in early on, so mm. then you know there isn't a care team that's set up that we're working backwards sometimes, you know, to try and get everything in place. Um, you know, if we start from the word go, everything's signed yeah and completed before it started yes that's definitely a more competent way to use a term that i know is is popular in your world and absolutely (laughs) competent way to do it it definitely feels like there's a a difference in approach potentially to whether you're directly employing or whether you're um whether you've got agency care in place and i'm just curious as to what your experience has been uh, with that and how you would support a case manager with either of those types of um, support workers in place? If there's a directly recruited um, team in place, um, the case manager and the, you, know, the, you know, the employer would take that responsibility of any of the training and the compliance within that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say compliance, that could be from recruitment or you know, to training. Mm-hmm. So it could be any of those things. However, if there's an agency that have been commissioned, whether they are fully commissioned for the whole package or whether they are spot filling. Mm-hmm. So again, we, have to just, we just have to split the two up into different categories. So if, um, if a case manager is registered with the CQC um, and is using an agency, just being really clear on, are they placing their support workers under their registration or are they spot filling? That's really, really important. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, asking for a copy of that care plan looking at profiles of the support workers that are in place, making sure that they do have the training to meet the needs of the client um, and actually making sure that that is in date. Yes, super important. And I guess that's that's kind of what we do with our any intervention 
yeah. provider, actually. Uh, you know, you check all of those, but it just feels with an agency, it, you know, you, there's an assumption that they kind of, um, they've got the right people writing those care plans in the background and the, the right type of support is available and, and that they're, they're, they kind of, there's something about delegating but, and doing that with confidence um, to an agency because they should be, they should uh, be doing it properly, CQC compliantly. Yeah. Um, and you're right, they, sh- they absolutely should. However, um, I don't think there's any harm, even if they are commissioned and they are CQC registered, just making sure that the client is safe and that they are, you know, their needs are being met by suitably trained staff. Mm. That oversight could be reviewing the care plan and auditing, you know, auditing the agency's um, communication records, making sure that that reflects what, what is in the, the care plan. So technically they should have someone and it just, I mean, just go running with the, the agency theme, there should be someone in the in their team who is trained to write the care plan in, in the first place. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I don't I think I mentioned earlier that I have been a branch nurse and that was yes. for an agency. So, you know, when I worked with, within that company, we would have clinical care plans and we would have support plans. So the support plans were for clients that didn't need any clinical intervention. So they didn't have a peg or a trachea, but they may well have just needed support with medication, whether that's prompt, assist or administer. That would then come over to me for my final sign off just to make sure that in the medication care plan um, that that was all correct. Um, and like I say, I'd give that final sign off because it's clinical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might be that you're, that the support that you offer isn't uh, sort of ongoing necessarily, but, ju- uh, you know, depending on how... Um, how that sign-off goes I suppose um, and what the needs are. Absolutely but again with medication there are courses that you know case managers or registered managers can go on so that they you know they do have Mm. that skill to be able to um, you know identify if there has been a medication error therefore they could also support with that medication element of the the care plan. Mm. So how appropriate do you think it is for a non-clinician who might be a registered manager how appropriate do you think it is for them to do the the sort of medication care planning and the the sort of the paperwork around that and the risk assessments etc you know there are there are registered managers that, that will undertake that particular type of work and you know if they've got if they've completed um, the medication training for that level um, and they're able, able to audit medication and actually they've got a really clear policy you know company policy and procedure and they are following that they can absolutely complete that, no problem whatsoever, because they are they're adhering to the company policy and procedure, and they've completed specific training mm. um, to know what their responsibilities are and know what they need to, you know, pop in that care plan. Yep. Okay, I'm with you. And um, you mentioned before, again in our little preamble discussion, that there, that in terms of training um, and understanding where what the needs that you know the clinical needs are for a client um can be supported with um you know there's some really good resources out there basically can you tell us a little bit about that because i found, i thought I, I hadn't heard of them before and i thought that might be valuable for some of the people listening in today yeah of course so um skills for care um is a fantastic website um and should we share the link as well yeah yeah, yeah go for it. fabulous yeah so we'll put it in the show notes as well Fabulous. So on there is, is clear guidance 
you know, guide for social care employers and managers what the delegated healthcare tasks are. So that that should make things a little bit clearer. Um, and also on the RCN uh, website, there is also accountability and delegation on there as well. So we can share that link. So mm. it's a little bit clearer in terms of what clinical tasks are. But yeah, mm. going back to the skills for care, they've got all of the, you know, standard training for support workers. Um, and it also identifies on their other, other training, um, you know, whether it's via a peg or um, skin integrity. So it's all on there. Really, really helpful. And we will share that. Yeah, no, that'd be really helpful. Thank you. So one thing that I, I guess I've picked up um, in terms of particularly your support that you can offer is that it's not, it, it, it's not just about the direct work that you um, do for the clients or um, in terms of the, the sort of care and um, clinical package. There's also something, um, I kind of get a sense that there's, there's that sort of consultancy and indirect support in terms of sort of uh, training support workers as well. And that's an important aspect of the, um, the work that you can offer personal injury. It is. So my goal is to make sure that, you know, clients are as safe as they possibly can be, but also to empower support workers and empower those around, you know, sharing my knowledge, sharing my knowledge with others so that, you know, clients are, you know, are the main focus and they will in turn get the best care and, you know, it will be the safest care. So, yeah, I don't, it's not just the, the training element, I, you know, I'm happy to support with actually how to undertake those assessments and how to identify those training needs and, and how to complete audits. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about audits. So audits is your clinical governance, basically. So you're, it's reviewing all of the documentation that's in place um, and actually does it capture everything. Let's just take a, a medication chart, for example. So if we are completing a medication chart at the end of the month, we want to be looking at that. And if there's any errors or issues, we want to be feeding that back. You feeding that back is your evidence that you are, you know, you're feeding it back and you want to, you know, improve the quality of the service. Um, and actually the, the audit identifies any needs such as a training need or, you know, is there a policy that just needs reviewing? So that is, I mean, I know audit is built into the, the work we do anyway. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, in some ways there isn't, you know, it, it's the same thing. It's just with medication in front of it, you know, like medication. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think it, it can feel quite overwhelming, um, mm. you know, when you, when you say the word audit and medication. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, you know, again, you know, there's documents that can support with, what you're looking for and completing that form and you know you can identify the feedback that needs to be given and then yeah, that's your process yeah this is the bit that kind of gets me um twitchy is um in order to be able to do that an audit is based on evidence evidence therefore needs to be recorded recording needs to be um understood as an important um task or activity within the role of the various people involved with the package and it then needs to be uh, understood as to how you do that. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you think of it as a sort of process or a chain, it's in order to do that well, there's a lot that needs to be done beforehand. And, um, and it comes back to getting the right people in the role, uh, making sure that they know what they're doing, why they're doing it. And um, there's someone checking in on that. And then that can be reviewed, you know, in, in, in the different ways that it needs to be or audited in the different ways it needs to be. 
is that something that you would look out for as well? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I have um, delivered um, some medication training to some support workers. And, you know, this wasn't this was clients with, you know, receipt of personal health budgets. Um, mm. And they just didn't see the point of having, uh, you know, my charts. Mum suggested, you know, you know, all of the carers will always give her son the, the medication. Why does she need proof of it? You know, number one rule, if you don't write it down, it did not happen. Mm. You know, and, and it might be that one of your colleagues has forgotten to give medication and you're able to identify that because you can actually go back and look back at the documentation. Or there might be a healthcare professional that wants to review when the increase was and you're able to identify that from having your march charts. There's lots of reasons why they're a good idea. But I think it's about having those discussions with the team and the family members as to what are we going to achieve by having them in place and, and why they're really helpful. I, I think you're absolutely right. This, um, that sort of um, what I would call in my psychology language sort of pre-engagement work. Yeah. <laughs> and like you need to set the scene, you need to make it clear, you need to get the buy-in effectively. Yeah. And that comes from the understanding and, uh, again, to use my psychology talk, psychoeducation around it um, and understanding what the, ri- you know, what, we're, what the risks are in not doing it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the same with the, the, the daily record documentation as well. Um, you know, there, I've had lots of discussions with family members and support workers, you know, of the importance of it, even if, um, you know, they are in receipt of only a personal health budget and that documentation isn't going anywhere off for audit. That is legal documentation that they are undertaking their responsibilities that is set out within their contract. Yeah. You know, they are delivering that personal care to the client and administering medications if that documentation's there, we don't know that they are performing their responsibilities. What would you do um, if that understanding, despite all your best efforts and training and discussions and pre-engagement work, still results in resistance? And families are very powerful in the work we do in a way that they aren't if you were working in a care home and mm-hmm. in a hospital. You know, families can can you know can be looked at as the authority for everything and I'm not saying that then you know that they should never have be seen as any authoritative figure but when it comes to um this again it's the specialism isn't it it's it's about you know who's got the right training the appropriate training for it but you know families can be seen as quite powerful and still resistant what would you what would you recommend it with that dilemma I have been in situations um such as that you know ones that you've described and, you know, we, it, it has taken lots of education um, with the family members and the staffing. And if, if still then there is resistance, you know, those meetings do need to be formally documented. And, there, you know, there needs to be a really good reason as to why the family object to that or staff members. And actually, then it needs to go back to the employer. Who is the employer? And is the employer happy with those documentations not being, you know, you know, that documentation not being kept. But actually, if, there's, if the case manager is overseeing those support workers and they are directly employed, that would then come back to documentation and actually CQC, that would be a requirement by law. Mm-hmm. So then it's, it's the consideration, actually, does the case manager want to take that responsibility for not having that documentation? Yeah, yeah. It needs, you know, that then there'd be a, a consideration of actually is this the right client case manager relationship yes because i suppose at the end of the day 
the whole point of having those competencies and um, compliance uh, sort of directions is to implement them and to keep someone safe. And it's yeah, and I, I just I just see that the the work that goes into uh, and this was where the kind of the you know the sort of therapeutic relationship makes can make a massive difference and investing in that idea of um you know forming that relationship uh with the client to make those difficult conversations easier and to be to be allowed to be heard better um on both sides but you can't budge on some things no and actually you know i don't use scare tactics however i do share some of the information that is on the C- you know it's it's very clear on the cqc website you know um what can happen if you know there's medication errors um or you know things have been not recorded correctly that you know there are fines or you know action can be taken against those and i think sometimes it's really important to share that information that actually it is a legal document and it is required for a reason uh, yeah exactly and you hope to not have those difficult conversations at the end of the day but no but they do happen and i think it's just about getting to the root cause isn't it is why are they you know why are family members or support workers against it and actually working through that together and sometimes it's just they don't want the notes within the client's home or the client doesn't want notes Mm -hmm. so is there another way that that can be recorded on a device or away from the client so not directly in front of the client Mm -hmm. you know there are alternatives but if there is real resistance we really need to consider actually if we are taking that responsibility on are we happy and actually is it within our you know regulatory body if we're registered with the cqc yeah absolutely but there is something in the um uh, which is really nice to hear as a psychologist <laughs> there's something uh, in the unpicking of why and how we can make it better easier um less painful for want of a better word um you know in the way we're currently doing it to allow us both to feel comfortable with what's going on absolutely and sometimes you know there are barriers that are there you know with family members or even with the client and it might not necessarily be about a a care plan or about the documentation or the record you know record keeping it could just be an element of control and I think once we've got to the crux of it we can work through in a partnership. Yeah, uh, you know, a fair, very fair point. I'm, I'm mindful of clients who, um, you know, alternative therapies to, to use a better, you know, to use a term. Yeah. Um, are becoming much more sort of popular. I, I think litigation can, in my experience, um, can be much more sort of open to uh, some ideas that are perhaps less medical um traditionally um being used and supported and i'm just curious as to how that would work where there might be an alternative holistic treatment as opposed to the pharma pharmacological or um, you know or um uh you know a sort of combination of physical and you know uh, i don't know uh homeopathic remedies that would uh you know that the family feel it worth exploring before or or yeah yeah before committing i suppose to a more medicalized approach and i'm wondering how that would sit with someone who is more medically trained i would imagine in 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 yourself and and you know i think you know the medical model is very dominant isn't it in the in the medical legal field um and i'm just curious as to how that would how that could look and how discussions around those alternative treatments 
are, are sort of navigated? So I think, you know, first and foremost is capacity. Does our client have capacity to make those decisions? And, and if they don't, you know, would it be in their best interest to go down that route? Who's making those decisions? And actually, you know, maybe getting, inviting an advocate in to support what we're thinking or, you know, what the family members are thinking. Mm. And then actually looking at what what is it that the client would like or the family have recommended? And actually, are there any contraindications with any other therapy or any other medication? I think it's really just about having a full MDT with everybody that's involved um, and just presenting that information that, you know, this is what the client would like, you know, would like to, you know, go ahead with. Um, And actually, uh, does this have, you know, is there any issues with any of the current medication? And I think that's, that's how I would always navigate my way through it. Yeah, no, that's really helpful because I know um, we work with a lot of uh, minority ethnic um, clients, um, partly because we're in London and, um, you know, we are a service with um, a, a sort of diverse team. Yeah. And I'm, sometimes we can come across ideas that are, are more in line with a cultural uh, background or, uh, and that don't necessarily fit the, uh, the sort of uh, approach that is being advocated and, I'm, and and it's 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 kind of working with that in a, a respectful way without losing the sense of competence and compliance within it you know you've what you just said there so you know cultural you know culturally we need to respect that as well and actually we need to take into consideration people's choices every single care plan is person-centred and you know no two will ever look the same but I think it's about how can we support that and make sure that actually if there is a particular therapy and the staff need to provide that how do we navigate our way around that so I wonder if you've got an example for me (laughs) (laughs) well we do happen to work um, you know on several cases and um, it's uh, yeah there you know we have come across this haven't we Mm. Um, and I'm it's it's you know the the example is I suppose with um, you know the one example is the different ways to to think about um, bowel movement I, I think that that's a big one that comes up across the board um, okay. and how to manage uh, the, you know, how to ma- manage that non-pharmacological. Oh, uh, okay. So, so, so mm-hmm. maybe with uh, diet or do you mean with? Yeah, partly yeah. diet with, you know, alternative, you know, rather than using lactulose or something, uh, yeah, um, some other sort of more alternative you know, like in my culture, you know, uh, garlic is the answer to everything. Um, yeah. And <laughs> olive oil will cure all, um, you know, sort of, uh, well, according to my dad, at least anyway, uh, you know, many, many uh, sort of injuries. So, <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and I think if, you know, that, you know, if there are, you know, requirements from a client such as, you know, vitamins and supplements, again, it, you know, if that's the request of the client, there's no reason why directly employed staff cannot administer that as long as the GP is aware and again there's no contraindications with any other prescribed medication I just something just came back to me so I worked with a lady a long long time ago and she had spino spino cerebellar ataxia uh, and she um, had requested to go and have um, stem cell therapy over in Thailand now she was a commissioned package so we'd requested authorization for the staff to support this visit 
CCG were against it and actually we had to get an independent advocate involved um, and they actually created a GoFundMe page so that she could actually go um, and get private insurance. So that's just an example how we navigate through it. Um, you know, if there is something alternative that the client does request and require, then, you know, we have to support them in a reasonable way. Mm. I mean, I, I think if there is, yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's when the families get involved um, and uh, capacity is not. Mm. Uh, that I think that's often because there's, you know, with family, it's the, the culture is a, it's a, it's more than one person's um, experience. It's, it's a, a collective sort of consensus, isn't it really? Um, and, uh, when you are, uh, you know, when you have a very shared, ex- um, belief that a particular way forward is, you know, how it, it can and should be done. And there's more than one person advocating for that. It, you know, it can be very, very tricky, I think. And I think being able to, as you say, work through that respectfully yeah. um, and with sensitivity, but without losing the sense of competence around it or being clear about where the compliance sits. Yeah. And I think that's the key, though, isn't it? Is, you know, if, if it's, you know, around, you know, like you say, garlic or particular foods, and, you know, culturally, you know, that would be a recommendation. Again, look, you know, maybe if there was a nutritionist involved, you know, looking at the, the levels or the amount that a person's taken in uh, and just actually just pulling on the MDT team just to make, you know, a really wise, you know, really, you know, wise decision for that client. Yeah. Again, this is where I think all of that therapeutic alliance stuff is so important because you will know kind of how the family are likely to kind of feel about certain ideas from quite early on if that is part of your goal that you're trying to achieve with this client but you know you you kind of it's almost an extended assessment the entire time yeah so I think then you're going back to you know that forming that relationship initially so it's about understanding your client's needs and listening to their requirements and I think if that's on board initially you've got it Absolutely. And then for me, as a case manager, I'm thinking about working with a, a new client who has not, doesn't have a package of care pre-existing. Mm-hmm. That has an impact, I believe, on uh, the recruitment, whether it's the MDT recruitment or the care, the care team recruitment, that you've, you understand, you understand what the values are, you understand what a family's beliefs are all about, and you want to, you'd want to recruit people who have an ability to work with those ideas um, in a respectful sensitive way and the idea of um, I think recruiting which is a very topical uh, you know and probably a big you know whole discussion in itself it becomes a much more coordinated package by fabric if that makes sense um, rather than kind of having to train you know train into people um, the idea of you know alternative medicines are okay. Yeah, but I think as well, it's, it is about, you know, once somebody has been recruited, that actually their opinion cannot be taken to the workplace that, you know, they're there to obviously deliver safe and effective care, but they also need to respect that, you know, the client's wishes, you know, making sure that that is safe, of course. Um, but, you know, it's not, we shouldn't be saying no, it's let's see what we can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that is harder than it 
mindset. Yeah, no, it is. It is mindset, but it's also like biases that we have consciously and unconsciously, and we may or may not know that you know. And I just think you can get really, you can have difficult discussions as a result of that. Um, And so, being able to sort of make that part of the recruitment um, just might make some of those conversations easier or, or non-existent potentially in some cases because there is that open-mindedness as you say yeah. there is that um i don't hold the answers and actually no one really holds the answers but no. as long as we've got a framework that is reasonable and uh an mdt that you know and a team and a package that is has a consent a general consent consensus um about the way forward and you know what is safe and what is right uh, based on a, a, you know a variety of, of opinions including of course the clients and the families then you know like a lot of things you, you know as long as everyone's kind of on the same page um more or less going to get where you want to get um you know with relative ease uh, you know it's, it's where people are sort of maybe not of a of a uh, I mean, we're kind of going more into sort of recruitment and things like that, yeah. which I know is something that you you talk about as part of the, um, you know, as part of your your offer to to people. But um, yeah, but anyway, it's uh, it's it's something that I think um, you know there's there's a whole thing for me uh, on recruitment and how you work with the team and how you create a team around the client. Um, but I digress. I digress. Um, <laughs> talking about offers. Yeah. I know that, you, you know, we've talked a lot about, we've talked about care plans, we've talked about record keeping, we've talked about uh, audits and, and, and training and, and policies and procedures. And these are all things that you have a training schedule about, you, you know, that you, you offer these um, masterclasses at the moment. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so again, I, you know, realised that there was a need to, to share this information. And I have, you know, I've just broken down what a service looks like almost and really focused on them as their main parts. Um, so those, those masterclasses will be available um, via our website and they'll be downloadable, but there will be a live Q&A session. So people can send their queries in and we can answer those on a Q&A session that will be then sent out. And there will be an offer as well on those masterclass sessions. So if someone would like to purchase all of them, there is a percentage off. Um, so, yeah, you just need to be following me on LinkedIn or keep checking on the website and you'll see that offer flash up very soon. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. Yeah. Um, so these are like monthly masterclasses um, that are very, I mean, for me, when I look at the schedule, is the schedule available on the, on the line? chance i think that's coming i think that'll be uploaded okay. within the next week or so the, the full yeah. the full course no that would be because for me it's kind of there's a logic to the to the the order in which you've put the, i don't know if that was intentional or if that's just how my brain works <laughs> the way that the importance was created was basically on the referrals or the requests that i've had through for work you know the top one was care plans and risk assessments so anything that I've had through, you know, as a query or, you know, request for support, that's how I've ordered the masterclass sessions. Ah, I see. Okay. Well, for me, there's a sort of logic there because you start mm-hmm. off with care plans. Yeah. Um, and then you've got all the sort of bits in between, obviously the medication type stuff and then, um, you know, the importance of recruitment and the aspects around all of that and then ending with sort of policies and procedures. It kind of makes sense. So yeah. there you go. 
Um, anyway, that's by the by whether it makes sense to me. The important thing is they're available for people to pick up and access whenever they want because it's been set up that way, uh, which is great. Um, but you've got the live Q and A's. Yeah. Which you, you know, we'll find on LinkedIn. We'll have to get your, well, I've got your LinkedIn handle. Um, and I will put that in the show notes as well. But I think we should probably try and round up the various <laughs> sort of conversation, bits of conversation that we've had. And I'm just wondering what your three take homes would be, um, for, uh, for our case managers. So the first one would be um, involving a nurse in the very beginning if there is nursing involvement with with the client. I think that would be key um, to make sure that everything is correct at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I I totally hear that. That was quite an important point for me to have heard, I think, that you don't want to be a bit further down the line and wishing that that had happened because... You don't know what you don't know, I suppose, do you? So exactly, um, mm. you might as well make con- conscious <laughs> some of the things that you don't know by simply, you know, getting the involvement. Yeah, yeah, I totally hear that. that that's wicked. What would your number two take home point be, do you think? You know, if you are engaging with um, a new agency or, you know, you've taken over um, a client that has an agency already in place, just making sure that you can review um, their documentation and that you've got copies of staff profiles, making sure that, you know, the, the client's needs align with, you know, what's in their documentation and what their staff are, are actually trained to, um, to, you know, the skills that they're trained within. And then for my third point, you know, as we discussed earlier, um, family challenges, you know, is, is, a real, is a real big, is a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really initially forming those relationships in, in in the very beginning, you know, being able to to understand what the client and the family members what their needs are, but actually managing that in a really safe safe way that you know allows us to be compliant and that we do have you know competent staff working w- within within those teams, um, you know, and, and really considering you know the psychological safety oh. of. <laughs> Not only the client, but the family members. Yeah, absolutely. You had me at psychological safety, to be honest with you. I mean, that, that is, you know, that's massive. Um, the moment any of our clients feel challenged um, in their own home, you know, yeah. with their own family member, I mean, I know I would feel the same. And if you can manage the safety, the psychological safety around that um, in the ways that you've talked about, uh, yeah, absolutely. You, you're more likely to find a solution that fits everyone without losing your sense of professionalism within it. Yeah, I think it's just having that that understanding and, you know, trying to put yourself in that, that client's shoes. And I think we often think about it, but we don't actually do it. And I think if we if we can, you know, there's, there's a, a greater understanding of the client need. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you. That's amazing. Chantelle, thank you so much for your, um, for your insights and your, um, your sort of sharing and breaking it down, I suppose, the, the idea of, you know, what clinical means and, and, you know, how you can navigate your way through what is a really important aspect of this support that we offer our clients, but doing that in a way that is safe all round, competent and compliant. 
but at the same time keeping it real you know at the end of the day we're dealing with people yeah and um you know we're people and our clients are people and they live with people and you know we work with the with the people and you know people are complicated yeah and sometimes the complexity isn't just about the medical or the clinical need it's also about how that's delivered and who that's delivered by and how much support is available and training is available to that picture and and it gets complicated for sure and complex and it's complex for sure. Chantal, if we needed to get hold of you, how do we do it? So you can just type in OBH clinical services um, in Google and you can find um, OBH website. Um, Alternatively, you can email clinical at obhcare.co.uk and that will come straight through to the clinical inbox or I'm on LinkedIn and you will share that link because I don't actually know it. <laughs> no, well, we'll share that link because that's where we share, share. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Chantal. I've really appreciated uh, your, you know, your time uh, today talking to us. Um, but I guess that's a wrap for today. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. Um, of, as always, um, if you'd like what you hear, please, please, please share it with um, your networks. um, And, um, you know, we can spread the, you know, the knowledge. All right. um, Bye for now and see you next time. Before you go, if you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 